The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line MP for Karayu and the Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Richard Miles, good morning. Good morning, Mitchell. How are you? Good, thank you. Hopefully some good news coming from the Premier today because Victoria has done it tougher than any other state. Uh, As I've said earlier, I ran the numbers and it seems that if New South Wales stayed in lockdown until November, they still will have uh, spent less time in lockdown than we have here in Victoria. So hopeful that the Premier will uh, give us some good news today. Oh, me too. Um, It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I I haven't done those numbers, but it's been a long time um, and I think, you know, particularly for kids not being in school. I think all of us with school-age kids will be uh, looking forward to them going back to school. I'm touching wood here, hopefully tomorrow. Um, I mean, that will be uh, good for all of our households, but it's obviously really good for them. And the interesting thing is the kids, are I think kids are desperate to be back at school. They're desperate to be with their friends and um, to participate in normal life. Um, so uh, fingers crossed, but it's uh, been... You know, that at this moment, um, if this is where we go, we should just also take a moment to thank everyone for the sacrifice of being in lockdown over the last week and a half. Uh, it, it does seem to have worked. The numbers are coming down. I think today's number was 10, and they were all people who'd been um, in isolation for the period of their infection. Um, so this is this is good news. And, you know, when you look north of the Murray and you see what's happening there, um, you know, you realise how important it is that we are... Uh, abiding by the lockdowns and and how grateful we should be for being able to get on top of it. So the federal opposition is uh, criticising the government for their handling of COVID, particularly around the vaccine rollout and also quarantine. And if you look at the polling, it seems that some of those criticisms are starting to bite. Is the situation improving? Because I believe the Prime Minister said he was sorry about the vaccine rollout, but is it actually better now than what it was a few weeks ago? Well, not really, uh, and it won't get better until, in in a, in a really significant way, until we get the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines into Australia at scale. Um, I mean, right now there would be an issue about getting those vaccines into the community uh, in the sort of numbers that we would need to to really get the rate of vaccination up, and so as a result. Uh, where we are today, well, I think we're around 11% of the adult population have been fully vaccinated. Um, that's a very uh, low level compared to other developed countries. In fact, we, we are right at the bottom of the OECD in, in terms of our vaccination rates. And fundamentally, that's what is preventing us from getting to the other side of COVID-19. But that's what's at the heart of why we're living in the land of the lockdown, because unless you have... Uh, a, a significant amount of vaccination. You can't you can't afford to let this disease get out of hand because it will uh, cause a lot of damage. And we've seen um, uh, younger people uh, be struck down with the disease in New South Wales and and die. Um, and uh, it, it's it's a reminder that you know this is not just a disease which uh, in its worst effects impacts people who are older. Um, it it, it can have very serious effects on um, younger people as well. And that's why it's really important that we uh, do everything we can to get onto the other side of this. And, and at the heart of that is vaccines and, and vaccination rates. And really, when to, to take it a, a step further, I mean, the reason we don't have 
the proper supply of vaccines in Australia right now um, is because of the complacency of the federal government last year. They didn't put us in the queues of the various vaccine projects around the world in the way they should have. They really bet the house on AstraZeneca being able to do the job. There's been, obviously, the medical advice which has ensued in relation to AstraZeneca, but it's not until the beginning of this year that they started ordering Pfizer in the quantities that we would need. We didn't even get on the list of Moderna until this year, um, and that's why we're now you know, in the queue and waiting, and whereas the Prime Minister promised we'd be at the front of the queue, in fact, we are languishing at the very bottom of the ladder. My age group isn't eligible for the vaccine unless you go to your GP and I've even heard that there's been talk about people being encouraged to go doctor shopping to find a GP that will let you have AstraZeneca. But for the people that are older that are eligible and I've been talking to them, they've said they've been trying to make bookings. For for example, the Ford factory haven't been able to. It's been very, very challenging. So before we start running ads saying go and get vaccinated and persuading people, shouldn't we make sure that everyone who does want a vaccine can get vaccinated first and foremost? Well, I, I think that's obviously right. I mean, that you, we've got to make sure that there is the ability for people to be vaccinated if, if they want to be um, with the vaccine, which is appropriate to them. Um, now, you know, the, the, there has been really conflicting advice in relation to... Conflicting might be the wrong word, but there's been differing advice in relation to AstraZeneca and, uh, and who should take that. Um, you know, for, for my age group, we were originally advised to take it. So I've had my first shot of AstraZeneca. I will be getting my second shot. But uh, subsequent advice has said that somebody in my age probably shouldn't have been getting AstraZeneca. And now, of course, we've got different advice again if you're in Sydney in relation to uh, AstraZeneca. Um, none of that inspires a sense of certainty and confidence in the public around AstraZeneca. Uh, and in terms of Pfizer and Moderna, there just isn't the quantities in sc- at scale right now in Australia. Um, and there won't be, uh, I think, for you know another month or two. And so uh, that, that's, that's the dilemma we're in. And, and it really leaves um, no choice but to hide from the virus through having lockdowns of the kind that we've had in order to make sure that it doesn't uh, have its worst effects on people. But the, the, the consequences, the economic consequences, and I think... More than that, the social consequences of lockdown are uh, obviously very significant. I'm going to talk about school-age kids not being at school. That's a, there's a huge impact, I think, associated with it for them. Uh, there's a massive economic impact for uh, businesses in Victoria. Obviously, businesses in New South Wales. I did a Zoom uh, meeting with a range of businesses in Western Sydney on Friday. I mean, they are feeling it very, very tough, as one might imagine. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of businesses in Victoria during the course of the last lockdown and this one, uh, and you know that they they're just crying out for a sense of predictability and consistency around what the landscape looks like, so they can run a business. That's kind of at the heart of being able to make good business decisions is to have a predictable environment in which you can conduct your business and of course that just doesn't exist. What do you make of the vaccine rollout debate in terms of where the supplies of Pfizer should be allocated? On one hand they're saying uh, send it to New South Wales because it's an emergency and they're really doing it tough up there. On the other hand they're saying well we should have it on a per capita basis because you just don't know where the next outbreak will be. Uh, I think these are really difficult calls and I think at that point, you know, we need to be listening to the best medical advice about how to apply the scarce resource, which at this moment we have, 
um, as, a, as I said, obviously the solution here is getting supply, and, but that's still a couple of months away. Between now and then, uh, I, I, I think we do need to be heeding the advice of the medical professionals about where best to send those supplies right now in terms of uh, having their greatest effect. And, and I think the point I would make in, in relation to this is that I mean, an individual gets vaccinated and, and, and then they have protection. So obviously there is a, a degree to which a vaccine is an individual decision. There's also a very significant degree to which um, the vaccines are a societal, a collective decision. I mean, it, it, every people being vaccinated around us makes us safer. Um, the more people are vaccinated, the less the ability for the virus to spread. Um, and so there is a sense in which uh, making the best decision for the entire Australian population as to where to deploy these vaccines is in the interests of all of us. Uh, and, and so I, I just think we've got to be listening to our doctors and, and our medical professionals in relation to that. So moving along uh, in terms of local politics, but still federally, uh, there's a new Liberal candidate for Corangamite in the Geelong Mayor, Councillor Stephanie Asher. And I see on your Facebook page that you've launched a three-prong attack in terms of three different ads about her. Uh, the first one being that eight years ago she uh, made comments about whether or not we needed the NDIS to come to Geelong. The second one was about the parking issue with the quadriplegic person and the last one was about the council's decision to lay off staff during the pandemic and I see that Martin Carter has also written a letter to the editor in today's paper saying that those last two things are actually a CEO responsibility rather than a councillor responsibility so how much culpability does Stephanie Asher have for those two decisions? Well right there is a question about how um uh, influential and significant is Stephanie Asher as the Mayor of Geelong. Uh, I mean, ultimately, Martin Cutter reports to the Geelong Council. Uh, Stephanie Asher is the head of that government. Uh, she's the public face of the council, and uh, I would have thought that she takes responsibility for what the council does. Uh, if that's if that's not the case, I mean, that, that is a, a pretty big departure from what heads of government do. Uh, and, you know, I think people who are looking at making a decision as to whether or not to support her and the seat of Krangamite would want to understand that as well as to whether or not she is somebody who seeks public office on the basis that she will take responsibility, that the buck does stop with her because, uh, you know, that's what people elect people to do. Uh, Martin Carter's not elected. Um, people elect the council to run our local government. Um, they, it, it is not Martin Carter who is ultimately responsible to the people of Geelong. It is the, it is the councillors and the head of the council is Stephanie Asher. Now, I, I watch our Prime Minister day in, day out, um, pass the buck and fail to take responsibility and, and shelve uh, or, or, or deflect blame to every other person other than, other than himself. I think what Australians want is leaders who are willing to actually stand up um, and be counted when times are, are difficult. Uh, that That is, for, for better or worse, what Daniel Andrews did last year, standing up what, 120 days in a row during the very darkest days of what was going on in Victoria um, to take the heat, to answer the questions, to make sure that people understood that he was the man in charge and he was leading the government. Um, there's a lot of public servants who are involved in the administration of that government, but he wasn't uh, suggesting that that, that anyone else should be taking responsibility but the people who were elected by the people, um, and that's the politicians. Now, in the case of the council, that is Stephanie Asher. 
Um, so what sort of a person would she be if she was going to be elected as the member for Karangamai? And, um, and that's the question. And, and I think uh, she, she clearly seeks to stand on her record as having been the mayor of Geelong. It's a, it's a, it's a, a significant part of her CV and why she puts herself forward to be a representative in the nation's parliament. That's fair enough. Uh, but if that's what's going to happen, um, then she ought to be accountable as well for uh, the the decisions that uh, were taken during the by by the government, which she led during the time that she was leading it. Um, now, if actually the answer to that question is idea, but I, I I can't do anything about that. Well, I think that says something. That says something about um, what sort of a, a leader she would be, and I think that's completely legitimate for people to understand before they cast their vote. Libby Coker was a councillor on Surf Coast Shire when she ran for Karangamite in the last election. Uh, she wasn't the mayor, but should the uh, current mayor of the city of Greater Geelong resign not just from the mayor position, but also from the entire council? I'm not saying that, but I have, I have said that I don't think it's appropriate that she stays on as the mayor. The mayor's a full-time job, councillors are not, um, but the mayor is a full-time job, and I think people... Uh, would uh, expect that in in having the mayor of Geelong, they're getting a full-time mayor. Uh, Now, running for a federal seat uh, is a huge undertaking. There is no way um, in which uh, somebody who is doing that um, can also be uh, in a position of being the the, the full-time mayor of Geelong. Um, and I, I think that that is fundamentally the issue here. I mean, we're going to end up with a, a part-time mayor, potentially for the better part of a year, because, you know, the election's not due until May of next year. Um, and I think feeling that you can do both of those roles, I, I, in my judgment, is, is, a, is a significant error of judgment. And I think uh, the right call for her to make in, in those circumstances is completely legitimate that she runs for... Um, for Karangamite, I, I, not for a moment do I think that Stephanie Asher should uh, stand down from the council, but I think there is only one mayor, uh, and I think trying to be the mayor of Geelong while you're also running for a federal seat is a pretty tall order. Um, in any event, um, you know, the, 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 the being the mayor of Geelong is, is central to Stephanie Asher's proposition for why she has the experience and the credentials to be the member for Karangamite. Okay, if that's the case, uh, then she should stand to account for the record of the government of which she's led during the time that she was leading it. Uh, And that's all we're seeking to point out. And finally, negative gearing. I see in the age that Labor has dumped the negative gearing policy that it took to the 2019 election. Is it sort of one of those things that you'd perhaps like to do negative gearing reform, but it's just too difficult to take to an election as an opposition and win? If you don't learn your lessons in politics, if you don't listen to the people, uh, then, uh, you know, you're doomed to continually repeat mistakes. And we made a lot of mistakes, uh, is the truth, at the last federal election. Uh, We've been doing a lot of soul-searching, which we needed to do in the aftermath of that result. Um, You know, we had a very significant election review during the back half of 2019. Um, And, you know, it it is very clear that the people spoke loud and clear 
um, in 2019 about the policies that we put forward. Uh, oh, we need to acknowledge that, and that's what we're doing. Um, and we've been going through a process in relation to that. It's you know we've we've, we've got to keep going through that process, but uh, you know we we intend to put forward a proposition. Uh, at the next election, which wins the support of the majority of Australians, um, it, it necessarily has to be different to what we took to the last election because, uh, you know, we did not get a mandate. Um, that, that nothing could be plainer. Uh, and so it, it's important that we, we take these steps and they're difficult, um, but, um, but important. And I think when you look at the history of uh, parties on their journey to winning government, you find there are very big decisions such as this that they've made to, you know, which might be hard, but which ultimately are about listening to the people. And that's that's what democracies are about. Um, and and then making sure that they are putting uh, a proposition to the Australian people, which does mean support. And that's what we intend to do at the next election. And a negative gearing is not going to be a part of that. Well, thanks for being on the program. And we'll talk to you again next month, hopefully. And we always say this with better news around COVID. Fingers crossed, Mitchell. Thank you very much. Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Richard Miles, with us there, who is also the MP for Correa. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.